from uh, about 15 years on up, uh, a great deal of my thoughts were uh, basically unshareable. We are all evil in some form or another. Yes, I am not 100%, but I am evil. My mother was a, a sick, angry, hungry, and very sad woman. I hated her, but I wanted to love my mother. This is Serial Killing, a podcast. Hello again, and welcome to Serial Killing, a podcast. This is Alyssa Carroll, and I am your host and the creator of at serial underscore killing on Instagram, where we go through the life stories of serial killers to see if we might catch a glimpse of why they displayed their famous vile and disturbing behaviors. This week's podcast will be on Larry Dwayne Hall. Larry Dwayne Hall was born on December 11, 1962 in Wabash, Indiana. And as usual, let's get into some history of that time. In 1962, the Cold War was getting worse and worse. The Russians placed ballistic missiles in Cuba, just a short 90 miles from the coastline of Florida. President John F. Kennedy called Russia and Cuba's bluff by stating there would be war unless they disarmed and got rid of the missiles placed there. This was a time where our nations were dangerously close to nuclear war and thus basically the destruction of civilization as we knew it. Again, JFK set a goal to put a man physically on the moon before the end of the 60s. The U.S. military began training South Vietnamese pilots for what we now know was the upcoming Vietnam War. Protests were breaking out everywhere for civil rights and anti-war movements. JFK also called for a Consumer Bill of Rights, which outlined four basic rights that kept marketing from misleading customers through advertising, defective products, and so on. If you listened to my quote behind the horror podcast about Gustav the Killer Croc, then this part will be familiar, because this is the year that Burundi gained its independence from Belgium. East German border guards shot and killed a man trying to escape over the Berlin Wall to the west side. In the U.S., the oral polio vaccine was given to millions of children in an attempt to eradicate polio. As far as the cost of living, the average price for a new house was about $12,500, or rent was about $110 a month. The average income was $5,600 per year. Tuition at Harvard University was only $1,520. An average new car would have cost you about $3,200, and gasoline was just $0.28 a gallon. 
So this was the atmosphere that Larry was born into. As far as Larry's family and the family genealogy, the past, there's just not a lot of information, at least available right now. But I'll give you what I could find. Larry's father's name was Robert, but I could not find what his mother's name was. Robert himself had been a World War II veteran and was described as a strict man who had quite the dedication to alcohol. As far as his mother goes, she was said to have been domineering, but also did whatever her husband told her to without protest. Larry is an identical twin, his brother Gary being only moments older than he is. Due to a complication during the birth, Larry was deprived of oxygen for a short amount of time. There are also whispers that the twins have an older half-brother by the name of Eugene Chloe. While there really isn't a lot of information about this mysterious brother, we can see that his last name is not Hall, so we can at least assume that this was a child Larry's mother had had from a previous relationship. Now, the Hall family lived in a house on a cemetery, and their father was the overseer of that cemetery. He dug the graves and maintained the grounds. From a very young age, the boys were expected to help with these chores in the cemetery as well. Now, I looked it up, and the graveyard itself is beautiful and lush with mature trees for nice, shady spots to visit one's relatives that have passed. It is said that the house they grew up in was cluttered, often dirty, and due to the family being very poor, they had little food, which, according to Larry, he and his brother suffered with borderline malnutrition. A few locals state that the twins' father was physically abusive to the boys as well. When the twins were about five years old, they started kindergarten at West Ward Elementary School. Now, Gary seemed to get along with the other kids just fine, and his performance was average, it was okay, but Larry was a different story. He immediately began displaying antisocial behaviors, and after testing, it was determined that he had a lower IQ of 80. He had a much harder time in school compared to his brother and was also bullied by the other children for that, as well as having a slight speech impediment. Larry was also still wetting the bed at five years old and continued to do so well past what is normal. And he also stated later that he was plagued with horrible nightmares regularly. And while he did not show outward signs of regular anger, it was brewing inside. He was extremely dependent on his brother and his mother. Also, the twins were small for their age, and the other kids picked on them about that as well. So I'm sure you've all heard of this, and as often as twins do, Larry and Gary sort of had 
their own language with each other. And if their peers caught them speaking to each other like that, they got made fun of for that as well. Not to mention the ridicule for living in a cemetery. There is a story about how Larry and Gary's father began choking while the family was eating, and both boys shrugged it off, one of them saying that it might be better off if their father just died, and then they went on eating. Throughout Larry's later childhood and into his teens, he was suspected of setting several fires as well as robbing and vandalizing throughout his hometown. It is also known that Larry was known to be cruel to animals. But, for the most part, Larry and his brother kept to themselves. During my research, I came to realize that most people that knew the twins stated Gary was the dominant twin and would often guide Larry's behaviors as they were growing up. It has been said that when Larry was in his later teens, he had sought the help of a psychologist to help him work through some of his issues, but again, there's just not much information on that either. In high school, Larry was still the awkward, introverted, quiet twin, while his brother Gary was much more outgoing. Outside of mostly being together, the brothers hung out with different crowds, and Gary later stated that Larry was usually with the, quote, misfits or stinky kids at school. But outside of school, they were very close, and once they were old enough to drive, they picked up this hobby where they would travel together and go take part in Civil War reenactments. They loved history and loved the reenactments even more, going as far as to groom their hair to wear it in the styles from that time, and even growing what they call mutton chops, which were excruciatingly long sideburns that stop at about the outside of the lips, because that was the facial hairstyle back then. Outside of their hometown, away from people who knew their background, Larry found enjoyment meeting new people. But Larry was very awkward around women, and they sensed it and steered clear. Perhaps they had a sixth sense, if you will. Larry wanted the experience of his very first girlfriend, but due to him being so introverted and just odd, the girls would just have no part of it. He said it was then that he began to have urges. So that was Larry's childhood. Let's peel the layers back. Now, we don't have really much of any background information on Larry's parents other than his father had been in World War II, that his father was an alcoholic, possibly abusive, and raised his family in less than ideal living conditions in a house in a graveyard where he had his sons help him dig and fill graves. More than one source pointed to the fact that Larry, when he was born, had been deprived of oxygen, though we don't know how, and my guess would be that perhaps his umbilical cord had been wrapped around his neck. 
So oxygen deprivation or asphyxia can have long-term effects on an infant. Most commonly, it can cause disabilities and developmental delays, such as cerebral palsy, autism, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, seizures, and behavioral problems. And most all of these infants will need further occupational, physical, and behavioral therapies in the long term. I'm quite sure his parents could not afford any of that for him. It was also said that they were so poor, so there was little to eat. And again, Larry hinted to being near malnourished, which I'm sure did not help his developing brain either. Though we don't really have any specific childhood stories, we do have the story of their father literally choking on his food, and both boys did nothing to try to help their father. It is if both of them were lacking empathy, but more on that later. Larry also showed some very typical signs of disturbance in his youth. He was antisocial. He withdrew. It is believed he committed arson on more than one occasion. He was cruel to animals, and he wet the bed for far longer than what is typical. He followed Gary around, as Gary was the more extroverted and outgoing twin. Larry really had no real friends, and the peers that he did spend any time with were the less-than-ideal kids in town. Girls didn't want to date him. I mean, it doesn't take a lot of effort to see that Larry was going to have trouble in his life. So let's get back into it. Now, Larry and his twin brother Gary, as I said before, thoroughly enjoyed traveling around and taking part in Civil War reenactments. I mean, these would include very long road trips. And these reenactments would take place all around the Midwest areas and even in the Rust Belt, including Michigan, Wisconsin, Iowa, Indiana, Ohio, Missouri, and so on. It is believed that the then 18-year-old Larry Dwayne Hall's first alleged victim was 14-year-old Dean Marie Peters, who disappeared from Forest Hills Central Middle School in Grand Rapids, Michigan. She was last seen at 5 p.m. walking out of the gymnasium after being at her little brother's wrestling match. She told her mother, who was in attendance, that she was going to the restroom, but she never returned. Her body was also never found. There have been other people suspected of her murder, but there was just not enough evidence to make an arrest. However, Larry had been in that area at that time. His next alleged victim, who also has never been found, was 12-year-old Deborah Jean Cole, last seen around 11 a.m. in her home in Lebanon, Indiana. Curiously, though, her mother actually didn't report her missing for two days, and when she did, it was just classified as a runaway case. But just as with the previous case, there were others suspected in her disappearance, 
but Larry was in that area at the time and he told an author that he was connected to Deborah. Then in 1985, when Larry was 22 years old, 19-year-old Purdue University student Jennifer Lee Schmidt vanished. The electrical engineering student was last seen leaving her apartment, headed to campus to talk to a professor. She, too, has never been found. The body of 21-year-old Marcy Fuller Swinford was found in a wooded area near Honey Creek in southern Virgo County. She had been strangled and sexually mutilated. It was verified that, yet again, Larry had been in that area around the time of her death. 20-year-old Michelle Dewey had been laying out in the sun on a hot July day in Indianapolis, Indiana. She had her toddler son with her, and they were innocently listening to music while her son played in this small kiddie pool. Later that day, Michelle was found dead inside of her apartment. Her toddler had been shut in a closet. Gary, Larry's brother, has said that Larry was in that area that day to check out a van that was for sale. 18-year-old Denise Diane Plume disappeared from Connorsville, Indiana. Larry again in that area during that time. And there are so many more stories that are exactly like these. Girl disappears, girls never found, or a body is found, and all of them. Larry was in the local area. Then, starting in 1996, girls started disappearing and some of their remains would be found every few months around the Midwest and Rust Belt of the U.S. And after he was caught, it was noted that most often he attended reenactments of the Civil War battles around areas that the girls went missing. One such example is Wilson's Creek Battlefield, very near Springfield, Missouri. In June 1992, around the same time there was a reenactment going on there, a mother and two teenage girls who had just graduated high school disappeared from Springfield. And to this day, they have never been found. This particular case is what is most often referred to when people talk about Larry. They call it, quote, the Springfield Three. The house that the girls and one of the girls' mother were in was found to still have their belongings inside that they would have never left behind. So by the time Larry Dwayne Hall was 30 years old, it is estimated that he had killed over 30 women, all victims that he is the main suspect for. On May 29, 1994, Larry began stalking two young teenage girls that were riding their bikes while he was driving in his van. The girls became frightened at his presence or the van's presence, and they cut through an alleyway, and they got to one of the girls' house where, terrified, they told the grandmother, and she called the police. The parents immediately went outside looking for the van, and they found him. 
Once Larry realized that he had been spotted, he at first shut off his headlights, but as the parents walked closer, he quickly drove off. But then he was forced to stop at a red light, and the parents got his license plate number. They gave the plate number to the police, and it was discovered that they were registered to Larry. The next day, Larry began stalking a different young teen when a police officer saw him and pulled him over. While doing a search inside Larry's van, he noted some unusual items such as a cotton mask, cotton balls, a plastic tarp, some knives, a length of rope, and so on. Interestingly, they also found a newspaper article about a missing girl and a piece of Indiana Wesleyan University stationery with the girl's name printed on it. Hall was then and there arrested by police and quickly actually confessed to killing the university girl. Now get this. He was later released as a, quote, wannabe serial killer, unquote, after failing to find the place where he told the police he had buried her remains. So they just let him walk out the door. And once Larry was free, he wasted no time in continuing to stalk young ladies. And yet another complaint was received by the police. They went and searched a barn that he was believed to use to work on his vehicles. And there they found these straps that looked like they would be used as restraints stored inside. And yet, still nothing was done. More and more girls came up missing, vanished. Somebody's found, most often not. Finally, the FBI became involved and in November 1994, they drove to Larry's house to interview him. He was read his rights and shown a picture of one of his victims he had kidnapped but had escaped. He confessed to kidnapping her and signed a confession stating he had also kidnapped and murdered a young lady whose dead body had been found in a cornfield in Indiana named Jessica Roach. And as they began to interrogate Larry about various girls that were missing, he would sporadically say that this girl was this, or that girl was that, and so on indicating that the girls were no longer alive. Ultimately, Larry Dwayne Hall was sentenced to life in prison with no possibility of parole for just the kidnapping. It would appear that, even though they didn't have enough proof at that time to show he had murdered anyone, they believed him dangerous enough to keep locked up forever. It is believed he was a rapist, torturer, stalker, strangler, and a necrophiliac. It is also believed that his kill count could be as high or higher than 54. The authorities talked a drug dealer in prison into befriending Larry and get a possible confession, which he was nearly successful in doing before he blew it by leaving the room, telling Larry how he could never be as evil as him, thus blowing his cover. 
And as of this recording, Larry is still alive today. It is heavily indicated that he has both schizotypal and dependent personality disorder. Now, schizotypal personality disorder is displayed as severe social anxiety, thought disorder, paranoid idealization, derealization, transient psychosis, unusual beliefs, lack of emotion or strange emotional responses, odd speech patterns, and it has been shown to be heavily inherited. Experiencing psychological trauma or chronic stress greatly increases the risk of the symptoms emerging, which pretty much follows his childhood. Now, this is the part that I want you to pay attention to. Dependent personality disorder is also an anxiety-driven personality disorder that makes the person feel as though they are completely unable to be alone. They rely on others for comfort, reassurance, advice, and support. They are nearly unable to make everyday decisions on their own, such as even what clothes to wear. Which leads me to that point. Now, if Larry was so shy and awkward and odd, showing flat emotions and having sort of, you know, dead eyes, but yet he shows signs of dependent personality disorder, how on earth could he have accomplished these crimes alone? So this is actually addressed. Author Christopher Holly Martin who grew up in the same town as Larry, wrote the book, quote, Urges, a chronicle of serial killer Larry Hall. He suggests that Larry has told him that on most occasions, he had one accomplice, and in a few others, he had two accomplices. Christopher insinuates that Larry has stated that he is tired of covering for his brother, so let that sink in. Larry's identical twin brother, Gary, was his very best friend. According to their childhood community and people that knew them, they were rarely ever apart. They experienced their entire lives together. It is an easy leap to think that his brother might have been an accomplice. Larry says Gary sends him hate letters, basically about how disgusted he is with his brother and how Gary is helping the police and so on. And Larry is beginning to hint to the fact that his brother was in on the crimes with him. And it would make sense, allegedly. Think about it. Gary and Larry traveled all around the country, but mostly in the Midwest and around that area doing Civil War reenactments, actually appearing in a couple of period movies in the background. They were riding down the highways and byways of the United States. Now, how in the hell could Larry have had time to venture off by himself to commit these horrible murders and Gary not have any idea? What do you think? Leave me a comment on Instagram at Serial underscore Killing or YouTube under the same name as this podcast. 
You can visit my website at SerialKilling.Squarespace.com and also consider sponsoring the podcast. It takes a lot of time to make these, but I love doing it for you. And thank you so much for listening. I appreciate every single one of you because I know you could be listening to anyone else, but you chose me. Thank you and have a great day. Music by Kevin MacLeod on Incompetech.com.